not listening to the BBC. It is not seven o'clock on Sunday. Since we last met up, hasn't it? So, 
in case you've forgotten, or if you've just turned in for the first time, let me remind you. A very long time ago, probably before your mother was born, I used to present all kinds of exciting programs on a thing that we used to call the wireless. Do you know what that is? Well, in those days, they used to be these huge wooden boxes, and families would gather around them and be transported away into a little world of drama, comedy, and music. It was magical. And I was there, right in the middle of it. Oh, yes, I was a household name back then, don't you know? This was long before dirigible cameras and spotty fly or the worldwide interwebs and what have you. Now, in case you didn't know, there's something rather special about my magic radio. Oh, yes, there is. Do you know what? Well, shall I tell you? About 60 years or more ago, I found that by using the regenerative signal from the local oscillator, I could... Uh, well, perhaps a little too literal. I need to say that I invented a radio which could tune into the past. I don't mean recordings, oh, no. I mean actually open a portal into the living, breathing moment of history. Sometimes I found that we can go through that portal and join in with what's going on. Isn't that exciting? Mm. Well, it is, but it's also a bit dangerous. There's nothing to worry about. What was I saying now? Oh, yes, the crutch of the matter is that my radio is a time machine. Yes, it is. And the best bit is that I can travel through time as I sit here in the comfort of my old armchair. Oh, God bless Sheldon, sir. Would you like to go on a trip with me? Are you sitting comfortably? Good, then let's begin. As they're all thinking about Easter at the moment, it's just round the corner, I thought that it might be nice to start off with a little music that's fitting for the time of year. Do you like Easter eggs? Yes, I thought so. I love them. Oh, yes, right then, anyway. What I had in mind for you is a little song that was made popular in the 1920s, which you might have heard before, but I bet you've never heard the original. Here we go, then. If I just start the old engines up... Now, that's it, Tune this bit here. Right. There we go. If my memory serves me correctly, which it very rarely does, this should be the coordinates for 1925. And a jolly little song indeed. Let's go through the egg-shaped speaker. No. Thank you. 
But when I'm in the mood, I sometimes nip back into the past and have another crack at it. You know, like Christmas. This year alone I've had three of them. Oh, yes, it's, it's, it's no wonder that I've put on a bit of weight. Mind you, I still get rubbish presents, though. But it's the thought that counts. I've had to buy a new chest of drawers for all the socks and handkerchiefs that Mrs. Diggory keeps buying me. She's my housekeeper, she is. She's, she's around somewhere, but... I call her my housekeeper, but she's, she's more like a nanny, really. She doesn't tuck me in, though. No, that would be too much. <laughs> well, enough rambling. Uh, I, I think it's time for me to find you something else to listen to, don't you? Do you remember, in one of the other episodes, I found you a newsreel about those four feisty lads from Bingley, who took the pop world by storm back in the early 1960s. Well, I found the coordinates in my journal, which will take us right back to 1966, and an account of their return from India. Oh, just, just this knob here, a little bit more. There we are. Let's go through the caftan shaped speaker. Mystical, 
Well, there you have it. Proof indeed, if proof is needed at all, that Yorkshire knows how to crack one out when it comes to the hit parade. Their latest album, Rubber Boots, is marking up the pop parade. It seems like Billy Beat is here to stay, and it's all thanks to the beauties. I'm not sure that I'll ever get swept away with beauty mania, though. I prefer my haircut short back and sides. Give me my vibrates any day. I'll leave that there for now. Let it simmer. Those boys knew how to play the publicity game, all right. They were all over the place at one time, in a different dimension. There's an alternative reality that I stumbled upon and then erased. But I, I didn't do it on purpose. No, I, I was, uh, well, I was, um, uh, well, I wasn't, I wasn't sure what I was doing there. You see, I, I, I have all these valves in a, in a big box, and, uh, and, and, and when I set the temporal solenoid inducer, that's my main top secret invention. When I set the, uh, you know what, to the wrong voltage slash amperage ratio, it sends the HD right through to the attenuator. Now, yes, well, perhaps I'm giving you too much scientific secrets here. You don't want to know about that, do you? No, you do. All you need to know is that it just works. Sometimes. In fact, why don't I try to find you something else to listen to, rather than dabbling on like the old fool that I am? Just let me doodle my knob for a moment. That's better. Right, um, off we go through the trout shakes. Hey, little, little, the cat in the fiddle, the cow jumped over the moon, the little dog laughed to see such fun, and the dish ran away with the spoon. In the summer of 1962, I was fortunate enough to take a sabbatical in Cornwall, a lovely place entirely populated by pixies, apparently. This one particular morning, I had taken a very early stroll through some woods in the hope of finding some wild truffles, when, to my great surprise, it had started to rain. Well, I ran for cover and took shelter in what seemed like an overturned rowing boat, which was quite odd, as I was some distance from the sea, or indeed a river for that matter. In my haste, I slipped and snagged my coat on a rusty nail, and fell full length into a muddy puddle. After a while, the rain subsided, and I was able to scramble out. By this time, the clouds had passed, and it was a glorious sunny day. My ordeal had left me decidedly in need of liquid refreshment, and I eventually found a cozy 15th century coaching inn. However, when the landlord saw me standing there, filthy, covered from head to toe in baked mud, tousled hair, torn clothes, and missing a shoe, he exclaimed, There is nothing here for the likes of you! All of which is a faithful reminder of the benefit of a hearty breakfast, a trusty umbrella, and a stout pair of shoes. 
Mark my words. Wow! What have you seen? Maybe it's now. Location of Miss Katie's umbrella. I said, do you have? Or have you seen? Or maybe it's now. Location of Miss Katie's umbrella. It's really too dear to us. But we'd simply like to know. Exactly where it's gone. Is it here? Or is it there? Or was it left behind? That most elusive Miss Katie's umbrella. I see, I see you got a lovely I see, I see you got a lovely
The transmitting station in Otteringham, codename OSE5, was used to broadcast misinformation to the German troops. That's right, I was brought in to make false news broadcasts and other nonsensical lies to give the Jerrys the wrong idea and put them off the scent. There were some women who also broadcast along with me, but they spoke very fluent German and pretended to be air command announcements calling their bombers to land or throwing them off course, that type of thing. The transmitter at Altringham was very similar to the one near Crowborough, but they had a nickname for that one. Espedistra, they called it. <laughs> at one time, it was the most powerful broadcast transmitter in the world. Where was I? Oh, yes. Anyway, I think I did a good job. It was a very shortly afterwards, the place was closed down. That must have been about you know, ten years later, 1953, I think. Uh, when the whole lot was moved to Droitwich. Hello? Who can this be? Bringing me at this time of night. How very rude. Hello? Yes? Oh, I see. Right then, uh, okie dokie. Roger Wilkow. <laughs> Seems like the uh, Ministry wants me to rein it in a little bit. Sensitive information and all that. Uh, no, well. Uh, as very few records exist of OSE5 in Otteringham, it's quite difficult for me to provide you with any corroborative information, or indeed recordings. In fact, nothing was ever recorded in those days, but, uh, expensive, uh, I think I might be able to tune in to the actual broadcast from that time. You see, I keep a very secret, detailed journal of my, uh, <coughs> uh, shows. And if my figures and coordinates are correct, then I shouldn't have much trouble finding the absolute correct frequency. About 200 kilohertz, I think, from the date. Uh, here we go, this is it. The BBC always used uh, a certain piece of music. The opening bars of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony as a secret call sign. In case you didn't know, it has the same rhythm as Morse curse the letter V. Anyway, here we go through the victory V-shaped speaker. Rudolf von Gerstorff, 
At no point during the visit did anything suspicious occur, and the Fuhrer left after just two minutes. Certainly Pope, an American who invented the parachutes and died, Pope had been testing a particular design for a parachute that would open automatically at 2,000 feet, and had left from an altitude of 12,000 feet near Seattle. Pope's invention and the backup parachute both failed to open. But finally, in more cheerful news, a new musical has opened on Broadway. It's called Oklahoma, and was written by Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein II. It has been greeted with mixed reactions from critics who claim that the show breaks all the rules by having big-name stars, no bare-legged chorus, and worst of all, containing what has been called a highbrow ballet. And so, finally, a weather prediction. Overnight, frost and fog will cover most of the country, making any nighttime flying almost impossible. By mid-morning, it will be overcast generally throughout the British Isles, and people are best advised to stay indoors wherever possible and remain cheerful. But now, it's time for some more smashing music. This is our crazy and a wonderful 200 kilohertz song to buck you up, especially all you boys overseas who might be listening in. For years we had an accidentra in a flower pot on the whatnot near the axe stand in the hall. It didn't seem to grow till one day our brother Joe had a notion that he'd make it strong and tall. So he crossed it with an acorn from a oak tree, and he planted it against the garden wall. It shot up like a rocket till it nearly... Well, I'm just going to leave that hanging there. That was Gracie Fields. Or our Gracie, as she was known, singing to the troops about a house plant. Seems like a perfectly reasonable thing to do, I think. They certainly don't write lyrics as deep as that anymore. <laughs> or do they? Well, usually at this point in the program, I like to read out some of your letters, but this week I'm going to tune into a wonderful educational program instead as I've just found the coordinates for it in my journal. Suffice to say that my mailbags are bulging this month, and I promise that I'll read your letter out next time. But for now, I'd like you to join me in learning all about art and the countryside with the famous David Hacker from Bradford. Let's go through the paintbrush-shaped speaker. And now, on the light program, we bring you your weekly lesson in art and the countryside. Yes, it's time for Arting About with David Hacker. Look at that. Do you know what that is? It's a bird, that is. 
There's lots of them around here. They hide in the trees, you know. Until they fancy having a fly about, that is. Shall we paint a bird, Stephen? See, what you do first is dabble about in this colour here. That's it. A nice bit of magenta. There you go. Now, and a nice black outline, like that. There. Uh, a bit of bright blue sky on for, for, for the sky, and uh, Bob's an uncle. Champion, that is. Uh, shall, we, shall we walk on for a bit? Spiky things they are. She must have just woken up after a nice sleep over winter. Everything's coming back to life now, isn't it, Stephen? Hey, I do like this time of year. Might take a trip over to Bolton Abbey tomorrow. Have a nice green tea. I do like a nice scone. I do. Do you, Stephen? Do you like a nice scone? Aye, I do. I do like a nice scone. I, I don't like nasty scones. No, they're nasty, they are. I couldn't give two hoops for a nasty scone. Shall, shall we paint another picture? Let's have a go at painting them trees over there with them sheep under them. That's it. Mix up a bit of Viridian green with this cobalt blue. Gee, lovely. Now, just a brush stroke of rhodamine red. That's it. Splash it all about. There. How's that looking? You, you see those branches on that tree? And you see how they're all hanging down like that? I don't know. That's because they're full of birds and squirrels. Birds and squirrels. It only happens at this time of year, that does. Hey, it's lovely just looking at stuff, isn't it, Stephen? Hi, Can I go over there and say, David? Yes, you, you, you can. Think on. Mind those nettles there. Let me have you. And I'll just sit here and drink all this Yorkshire loveliness in. The lovely Yorkshire trees and the smashing Yorkshire walls, all knobbly and crooked. Ooh, I do love Yorkshire, me. God's own country. Ladies, look at this. I think it's a cow. What's that, Stephen? Let me have a look. Mmm, it's very red. Very red indeed. That's quite artistic, that is. All that red against the blue. You might make an artist yet if you go on like this. Gee, a bobby dazzler you are. But, but where's this cow? I didn't see any cows earlier. Over there, look. Shall I show it my painting? Stephen, that's not a cow. Here, cow. Here, have a look at my painting. Stephen, that's a bull. I think we'd better move on. In, in fact, I think we'd better move on very quickly. Shall we go for a cup of tea? I quite fancy a nice cup of tea about this time of day. Cup of tea and a sponge finger. Would you like a sponge finger, Stephen? Oh, that would be grand, that would. Right. Come on, pack up your brushes and your sketchbook. Very carefully. And let's get back for a nice bit of sight. Run, Stephen. Run like a wind. Hey, I do love the countryside, Stephen. Do you love the countryside? I do. It's champion. Ah. Thank you.
And there'll be more sketching tips and countryside wisdom from David next week at the same time when we once again join him and Stephen in Arting About with David. Ooh, my word. Will you look at the clock? It's nearly time for me to go and for you to waddle up the wooden hill to Bedlington. So, before I disappear, I'd like to finish you off with a little story from my big old storybook. Would you like that? Good. You see, I've been writing stories in my journals for as long as I can remember, and that's a very long time. And I tend to call them my fireside fantasies. Now, let's see if I can find you something appropriate to fall asleep to. Ah, here's a good one. This is called The Long Road to Nowhere. <clears throat> How would you like to die? It's not a choice anymore. You have to face facts. You had a choice once. But now, it's simply a matter of detail. You drift from dull thoughts into a world of pain and sounds you don't recognize. Everything is strange and jagged in your memory, but you are desperate, driven to know where you went wrong. The sounds hit you first, soft chatter and the bleeping of machines, then you try to open your eyes. They are stuck together, but you force the muscles to prise them open, and all you can see is a blur. You try to move, but you ache all over. Your back feels shattered, and your legs are heavy. You try to raise your arm to your face to wipe away the confusion, but all you can feel is the weight of nothing. Grating against the rough veins you lie in an unfamiliar bed. Your face is burning as much as your need to understand why you are here. Now you can see tubes and wires stretching from the pain in your body out into the room. Can you hear me? There's a voice echoing in the onslaught of panic descending quickly. I'd like to ask you a few questions. But you have questions of your own. Questions that sear deep inside you and search frantically for answers. And then you remember the hundred thousand pounds. The fortune that was just within your reach. The cash that is going to open new doors and set you free. And still you believe there is a chance. It came to you in a moment. That day when they opened the doors and sent you back out into the world, free after 11 years and 149 days, give or take a few hours, a hundred thousand hours of your life cruelly taken from you in payment for a crime you never committed. And how you raged with the revenge of the thought of it. Someone was going to pay for your sacrifice. And as you walked the driveway from the jail into the bright spring morning, all you felt was determination to seek payback. 
if I don't have bad name of you folks, you have been to hell. How bad could things get? Neither list, said the stranger, leaning over and looking at you through his open window. It was a nice car. The rail was long and you'd been hitchhiking for a few hours now. You had no money, and only the clothes you stood up in, and nowhere to go, so you thought, why not? And now, you're about to relive the whole splintered thing as if it were happening again. Thanks, you say, as you throw open the door. Where are you heading, he asks. Wherever you're going, you answer, he grins. Ah, the great adventure, eh? He says as the car gets back up to speed. For a long while he says nothing, but eventually he becomes curious. What's your name? You think false. Something is stirring in you, and you begin to feel that this might be a situation you could lose. John, you lie. Pleased to meet you, John. My name's Timothy. Timothy Nolan. You look at him and he turns briefly to see your face. I'm going to Whitehaven. Is that any good for you? Yes. You have no idea how to answer any smoke. Then the gears kick in. What's in Whitehaven, you ask him? I'm going to see my old uncle. I haven't met him since I was little, but this weekend is very special. Oh? Yes. I'm going to collect my inheritance, he says. And now, you're interested. Poor old Montgomery, blind as a bat, lived alone in that big house for many years and never trusted banks, kept his fortune in the safe in the cellar. Your thoughts are racing now, scheming and planning your next move. There was a silence for a long time, and then he spoke. I reckon you're thinking how you can bump me off. Take the blind Irish fool and make off with a hundred thousand, aren't you? Is it that obvious, you say, with a hesitation in your voice, but he just laughs. Ha! Huh. I can read you like a book. I'd like to think the same, but it's not so easy, he says, but now you're looking for clues. There's something I've not told them, he says. I'm dying. Just six months left, I've been told, but that's just enough time to make sure the money falls into the right hands fast. Your mind is racing now, you ask, what's wrong with you? We can't, you see, and then you act. You grab the steering wheel, aiming it for a tree, just beyond the river at the side of the road. He panics and starts to gasp as the car rocks around. You've got to get me a doctor, he says, but you have other plans. If he dies of a heart attack now, it's not your fault. You know all you need to know, so you go along with your instincts. No, I don't think so, you say, with a coldness which makes him stare at you with bleeding eyes. So you think you can get away with it? Well, perhaps I knew this would happen. Maybe it was fate. Maybe I just didn't want the cash going to the wrong one. Call it a gift from a stranger, he says as he slumps forward, rising in pain. You have to act quickly, so you wrench his trembling boy from the car and drag it back to the bridge that you just crossed. You look around. You're deep in the country. 
Not a soul for miles. This is too easy, you think. You take a jacket and drive on. Fast is searching the pockets. A wallet, a lighter, some small changes. It's all you need for now. If all else fails, sure, you could pass for him. The old man is blind. Hasn't seen you for years. What could go wrong? Lifting him, you let his body fall heavily into the fast moving water below and watch it sink as the current flows away and then you stand back and breathe out. Driving a few more miles down the road, you enter Whitehaven and see a big house on the hillside. This must be the place, and you decide to take a chance. Arriving up the gravel driveway, your heart is pounding so close now. This should only take a few minutes. You let yourself in. Why wouldn't you? Your family now. And you creep slowly through the main hallway, looking for a way into the shadows. Once inside, you fumble with the combination. You know how to break a safe. The ties are talked about that back when you were inside, but it's not easy. Timothy? Is that you? Says a voice at the top of the stairs, and you hear the tapping of a cane approaching in the darkness. Why didn't you say hello when you arrived? I was, you think, on your feet. Just checking. It doesn't make sense, but you don't care anymore. He laughs. You'll get the money all in good time after the wedding. Suddenly, you're confused. The wedding, you ask? Ah, yes, the, the, the wedding. Timothy, your voice is different. Let me feel your face. See how you've changed. But this approach is more than you can cope with. You have to buy some time. Try not to alert him too much, too soon. Look, you say, remembering the matter. I need to get some cigarettes. I'll be back in a while. Could you rush past him back up the stairs and he turns. Always the impetuous one, always dashing about, he says, and he follows you. Make sure you get back before Stephanie arrives, he calls in the distance. You drive back to the village and buy some things, but returning to the car, you are approached by a man who calls you. Have you a light? You stop and search in your pocket while he looks at you. New to these parts, he asks, as you race for an answer. Just visiting the old man, you say. Montgomery, he says. How do you know him? I'm Timothy Nolan, his nephew, you die. And it's then that you are stopped in your tracks. You see the man reach inside his jacket and show you the barrel of a gun. Get in the car and drive, he says. As you pull away from the village, he has his sights. Let me introduce myself. I am Justin Dolan, Timothy's younger brother. And I don't know what you've got going on here, but it seems rather convenient. Pistol whipped by this new turn, you say nothing and keep your eyes on the road. You see, Timothy owes me a lot of money. A lot of money. And, well, uh, I was planning to, uh, collect. But with you in the picture, it changes everything. I suspect uh, that you killed him. Am I right? 
Suddenly, you find yourself at the dead out. Weak heart. As you know, he, he, he just died on me. Oh, how convenient, he says. Well, we can play this a couple of ways, then. Either I can go back to the house, kill the old man and get the money, or you can do it. You see, if you do it, then I won't have to kill anyone. And all you'd be guilty of is a bit of petty burglary, he says. What's in it for me, you say quickly? Well, if you do that ask, say, 60-40, then he pauses. Or, I could just take it all, if you know what I mean. This proposal doesn't fit in with your plans, and you're not prepared to share with this idiot and his ideas of betrayal, so you flick up your arm and the gun goes off, firing a bullet into the roof. You grab his wrist and let go of the wheel as the car careers off the road. You struggle that he's strong and you have everything to lose, so you elbow him on the chin and manage to get the gun as you now turn on him. Squeezing his own fingers on the trigger, he goes off and becomes limp. Now you have a new problem. But you remember a lay-by a mile or so back with some public toilets. So you drag his body into a cubicle, lock the door, fire a couple of rounds just to be sure and climb over the paneling. No one will find him there for days, you think. But the sound of a horn alerts you. You left the car in the road in the rush and it was blocking the turning. A woman in the constable is calling to you. Can you move it, please? I'd like to get past, she says. But as you approach, you see her looking, searching. Did I hear shots? she asks. Yes, you say, scrambling your senses. Some rabbit. I was just practicing, but I'm not a very good shot, you lie. I'm Stephanie Miller, she announces. And you freeze. Hi, I'm just on holiday for a few days, but before you can introduce yourself, make the situation appear normal, she interrupts. Isn't that Timothy Nolan's car? She sees the fear in your eyes and knows that something is wrong. She starts to reverse up, but wait, if she does that, goes to the village to tell someone, your chances of getting to that money will be lost forever. Without thinking, you aim the gun back at her head and fire. You watch as a pretty pink spray covers the windscreen and the bullet ricochets off the metal. You'll be damned if you don't get that money now. Eleven years and a hundred and forty-nine days you'd waited. Nothing was going to stop you now. Stuffing her body into the boot and wiping down the windscreen, you push the vehicle into position. There, it looks part now. She might just have easily gone for a walk. No one will know her. Not for a while, at least. Just enough time to collect and be away, out of here forever. Back at the house, you urgently try the combination again. It seems so close you can almost imagine your fingers counting the clean, crisp notes. You'll never break it, says the old man's voice behind you. Only Justin knows the combination. That was my security in case you ever tried something like this. 
It was my way of being sure that you married. It was a condition, Timothy. This is all too much now. You want to keep up the pretense, but time is running out. The old man moves closer, tapping his way towards you. That smell! Are you bleeding? What have you done? He asks, but enraged. You whack him with the first thing that you can reach, and he falls unconscious. You heave him into a corner and set about making an explosive. It's not hard. You picked up a lot of new skills inside. Some weed killer, some toilet cleaner, other bits and pieces, all stuff that's lying around you in the dim storeroom. But then, as the fuse is burning, you hear him. He has your gun, but you know he can't see you. You reach for a rake and start to swing, but he aims for the noise. Shots ring out. He gets you in the legs and shoulder, but the rake catches you squarely in the head, and you both fall. The fuse is burning, and you must get out. Crawling across his bloody body, you reach the door. The money! All you can think of is the money. The door is locked. You try it, furiously, but it is bolted from the outside. It's possible. Fear and greed are tearing through your brain now, thundering past every station into the blackness, and you close your eyes tightly shut. So, will he live, Doctor? You hear him say. The voices are too quiet to hear an answer, but you hear the detective clear enough that he satisfies himself. Good. And then he comes back into the room. Are you ready to talk now? Why was the old man trying to kill you? What were you doing in the house? None of this makes any sense to you, and although his questions seem obvious, you look at him with a hundred thousand thoughts rushing through your ears. You mustn't reveal anything yet. There's still a chance, you think, but something's burning away in your brain. How did you find me? We got a call from a girl told us that you were planning something. <laughs> what girl? Stephanie Miller was her name. Do you know her? The name hits you like a car, and then you remember. Your eyes are wide open now, and you stare at the detective. That's not possible, because I... I... And then you realize you can't say a thing. There you are, then. Wasn't that a lovely tale? I do hope it gives you lovely dreams. Well, it's time now to switch off the old magic radio and let it cool down for a bit. There we go. Have you enjoyed your trip with me? Did you like all the adventures and music and stories? Would you like to take a trip with me again next time? You would? Oh, that's wonderful. Well, that happy yarn brings pigs to the trough, the flower to the bee, and an end to the program. But there'll be more next time. You can rely on it. I look forward to spending time with you again. But now, all that remains is for me to say to you all, Good night, children, wherever you are.
Uncle Reggie's Magic Radio is a Corniche Pastiche production. It was written and produced by J. Bramwell Slater, who is a member of the Royal Shakespeare Book Club. Acknowledgements and credits go to the generous community at freesound.org. You can get in touch with Uncle Reggie by visiting the website at 3W Koosh Records. That's Koosh with a K and two O's, kooshrecords.co.uk slash reg. He is also on Facebook as Reginald Merriweather, as well as on Twitter at The Real Reginald. This program is broadcast on the last Sunday of each month, and you can hear the next episode on the 31st of March. However, there will be repeats the following Sunday, and eventually a podcast to download on iTunes by searching for Uncle Reggie or visiting www.unclereggie.podbean.com. In a moment, a brand new science fiction series, episode 2, called Surge. But now, it's very nearly 11 o'clock.